growth is stepping out before you have all the answers, stepping out before it's perfect. Um, just start walking and adjust along the way. And that had to become my new mindset. The future of dentistry belongs to the innovators. Welcome to Innovation in Dentistry. I'm your host, Sean Zayas, and I believe that the future of dentistry is going to be unbelievably great over the next decade and two decades, but the question isn't that. The question is, are you gonna be part of what makes dentistry great? Hey guys, I am so excited today to have the honor to interview Catherine Itell Belt. And Catherine, I just have to say your reputation completely precedes you. I remember at a Vanessa Emerson event, you getting called to the stage and the standing ovation, the love, the respect that you had from everyone in the audience was palpable. And I was like, who is this woman? I need to get to know her. So thank you so much today for joining me. I'm so glad to be here and excited for our conversation. So thank you for saying those nice things. So I, I love dentistry. I think it's a crazy, um, crazy, interesting industry. And this podcast, like, thankfully for me, at least is not about clinical excellence or technological innovation. It's really about what empowers dental professionals to all of a sudden have that feeling of like, Hey, I have permission to pioneer something great. And that could be clinically, but oftentimes I see it starting another business. It's just stepping up and leading. And I know you have such a great perspective on this because you coach and train so many of the dentists that are the leaders in dentistry. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what is your take on that? Oh yeah. I think, I think we all have a passion that's calling us. Sometimes it's to stay in our practice and be um, expert at something we can give to patients, but often uh, there's a pull to expanding that outside the practice of dentistry. And, um, you know, like anything, there's some fear of the unknown. There's some fear of the, what if I don't make it? Of course, we all deal with imposter syndrome at some level. And so I think that's the human condition. And I think understanding it um, is half the battle, you know, knowing that um, or believing that you're not alone. Every competent person underneath that confidence has had moments or still has moments of wondering if it's enough, if it's, you know, good enough, um, all of that. So I, I think we know the answers to what we're called or pulled to do. I think because whatever we're called and pulled to, it's, it's like, um, it's like knowing, oh, you just ate something and it was so delicious to you. Someone else eats it and goes, eh, yeah, I don't know, not, you know, not so much. So it's a very individual, uh, I'm interested. I was just coaching someone this uh, last week and they, two female dentists, just in the practice, in their normal dental practice, discovered uh, and became interested in as mothers, getting children um, assessed from birth 
for sleep, for airway, for dental concerns, educating patients or parents on what to look for uh, and what to expect along the growth journey for their child from infancy on, instead of having them be three years old or five years old or whatever the standard is for bringing them in. And so they have just exploded. They've exploded in their community. And now they're having a passion for sharing this with other hygienists and dentists and assistants that, that there is this whole market of young parents that really don't have this information and are very willing to pay to have their child um, looked after and to be coached on what they should be looking for. So it's a good example of something they were interested in on their own and now they're able to share that. And so I think just my take is that pay attention to what interests you and what piques you and what makes you, you know, you'd stay up reading that book about because you're just interested. And then there's some there's something there. There's a gem inside there of what might be calling you. Yeah. I think that's so great because oftentimes when I think of like, how do you form a business model uh, to bring value, you know, in a business sense, we always say follow the pain and I think appropriately so, or follow like your passion. So it's like pleasure, yeah. either like passion or pain, or like you said, the pleasure brings you to something that, that has that resonance. Now I'm curious, you're in dentistry. Um, You are a coach, you're a great trainer and speaker. What was it that brought you into this industry? Was it all of a sudden the pain of, man, dentists don't know how to communicate. I feel like I could fit that. Or was it just like, what was it for you? Um, well, it was two things. Uh, I got into dentistry, I'll tell you, not be, not from a love of dentistry. I started in, it was a job. I was a dental assistant. I became a dental chairside assistant in Texas. You can or at least back then, this was in the 80s, actually late 70s. Um, And you could just pull someone off the street and give them a suction and say, here's what you do. And that's what we did. And so I was in college um, and I just needed a job to make my little car payment on my little car, you know? And uh, so it was a job. I did not love it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. And I was, I think, a very mediocre dental assistant. And one of the things, I would say the first thing that happened for me, and I, and I tell this, this is my opening story in my Courageous Conversations presentation and training. Um, I call it my colleague story because my boss um, had had enough of sort of this average employee. But instead of giving me the what for and telling me all the things that needed to change and, you know, he actually fired me and then said, I've got you. And he did. He had my final paycheck, slid it across the desk to me. And then he said, "Um, I'm I'm actually laying off all my dental assistants. I'm never going to work with a dental assistant again. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, I get that I'm being fired. Please, I begged him. Please, let me, I, I can do better. I need the job. And he said, no, it's, it's, it's not that. He said, you know, I think you're amazing. I think you're smart. I think you're, I think you're personable. I think you've got a lot of the qualities I'm looking for, but you're just not focused. Like, it's not a love for you. And um, he said, so, uh, but I decided not just you, I'm just not going to work with dental assistants. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it. And he said, well, let me make this really easy for you. Um, Starting tomorrow morning, 
I'm going to interview for a brand new position and I'm never going to call it a dental assistant because that's not what it's going to be. Now they may assist me, but I'm going to call this position a dental colleague. I want a dental colleague across the chair. I want someone who's in love with what we're doing, who's in love with learning, who's in love with um, staying a little bit into lunch or a little after work or on a Saturday for a CE course. They're pushing me to go to courses. They're in the game because they love it. And I don't have any doubt you could do it. And I hope you show up tomorrow morning for the interview, but no promises because it's a whole new job description, whole new pay scale, whole new title, everything. So I hope you show up, but if you do or you don't, we're good. You know, I just realized that we're out of alignment and you deserve to work in a place where it's fun for you. It's interesting. It's compelling. And I want you to have that experience. And if it's not in dentistry or it's not with me, um, then I want to set that free because you deserve to have more and I deserve to have more. And I would rather work with nothing than have less. And that occurred to me today. It was brilliant. I was 19 years old. And so I did show up for the interview and I did get the job and I worked with him for seven more years and I fell in love with dentistry. And he, it was because he, he, he drew a line in the sand, but in a way that uplifted me, you know, and I teasingly say in my speech that, you know, I walked out to my car thinking, why am I smiling? I know I'm holding my final page. I just got fired. I'm sure I just got fired. But how, how is it that I feel better about myself than before he fired me? And I did. And that's a pretty amazing, courageous conversation. And so that's the basis of that, of that teaching that I do. So I think for me, I got introduced to a way of of communicating and a style of leadership that was rooted in how can we hold our standards high and instead of demanding that people meet that standard how can we invite them to meet that standard and i got a i was lucky i got a really firsthand example of that early in my professional life and got to experience the benefits of it so i am forever grateful for that man and for that conversation and for i mean i i think i would probably still be working there today but i got married and so seven years later my then husband was transferred to california and so when i moved to california i knew i wanted to stay in dentistry because i had fallen in love with it but the second thing that happened is I saw an ad in the newspaper that will be foreign to many of your listeners, but uh, that's how we used to look for jobs. Uh, I picked up the local newspaper and there was an ad. Actually, originally the ad was for a salesperson for a dental consulting business. And I sucked at sales, but very quickly I had to sub for a trainer for that program. And the minute that I stepped into those shoes of trainer, I knew that I knew that somewhere in that world was where I wanted to be. And I realized that probably working inside the dental office for that brilliant man was the foundation that was going to, you know, take me into uh, teaching a different a different way from from my experience. So I I worked several years for that dental consulting company and didn't really love the company and what they stood for, but fell in love with teaching and coaching and watching people reach their potential. And um, so eventually I broke away and started my own program. So for several decades, I was a full practice management consultant, just like a lot of our our esteemed colleagues. But uh, when I turned 50, 
um, I had some pretty big life transformations and really, I think at 50 stepped into my true self and potential and took a hard look at the business and realized there, I would, I could do all of the pieces. I mean, I can read a P and L and I can coach on uh, profitability and I understand block scheduling and insurance coding and all of those things, but they weren't, they didn't come up on my schedule and me go, Oh yay, you know, insurance coding. And so uh, what, but when communication or team dynamics or leadership um, came, uh, or even communicating with patients. When those pieces came up on my schedule, then I lit up. And of course, just like we talked about earlier, those are the times where you kind of know it's showing you the way. So I took a jump off a cliff. I wasn't sure that people would pay for just communications coaching only, but it turns out you know, 12 years later, I mean, Lionspeak was born then we rebranded and I narrowed my focus and stepped out of consulting and, um, and I've been doing it ever since. And so it's been a wonderful journey. So I think it was those two things. It was that early experience and then it was falling in love with dentistry at that level and being led by a brilliant leader. Uh, although he would tell you, he doesn't consider himself a good leader, but I just know being on the receiving end, he was. Um, and then that second piece where I sort of accidentally stepped into training and consulting and realized that helping other people in that way, particularly in the realm of communication, is a is somehow a natural gift. And I mean, I've had to, just like you or just like anyone, I've had to learn I've had some mistakes, I made some mistakes, you know, early and still. And so it hasn't been without its growth curve or without its learning to be better at it. But I did have a natural interest and propensity toward those subjects. So, yeah. Okay. So Catherine, I didn't know anything about your story and I just assumed, and I wonder if anyone else ever has, <laughs> that you just came from like uh, the corporate world, oh. um, being a, a corporate trainer, corporate speaking, yeah. and then just all of a sudden somehow got like pulled into dentistry yeah, no. because the level of excellence you have mm. is akin to just like a, a corporate speaker. Oh. Um, so I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I and, mean, and I tell dental assistants all the time or dental professionals of at any level um, I, I'm you, you're me. Um, I just found what I loved and had a little natural ability toward, and I nurtured it and I got good at it. And I, I had many coaches, many mentors, many mistakes that taught me things. And I just got better over time because I wanted to be better. I wanted to be more effective. And, um, yeah, so Anybody so, can, it doesn't, I don't have a college degree in coaching. I have, I have some certifications and I've, you know, I've worked hard for some designations and things, but I didn't go to college to learn to do this. And you don't have to, you really don't have to, you have to be good at it and willing to advance your craft. That's it. Mm -hmm. Amen. So I'm thinking back to that time when you got fired as an yeah. assistant yeah. and I'm thinking, did you ever find out from the dentist what inspired him in that moment to all of a sudden go, okay, this isn't working. Business as usual isn't working. And I want to call this person, I don't know, almost like give them honor and mm -hmm. not just have them be an assistant, but somehow a colleague, it feels like a peer. It feels like Doesn't someone it? that can contribute yeah. that can 
come alongside the dentist and be part of the success, be part of the care. Yeah. Like that, that seems revolutionary looking at your people, right? A whole new way, especially me at 19. I was just a kid really, you know, now I'm 64 years old. It's like, I, I look back and think I was such a baby, but he, I think it was partly who he was. He was not, um, the kind of man who enjoyed, um, putting people down or having people feel less than. So he did that with his patients. He did it with all the team members, his family. So it really was who he was. He was determined that whatever he did would not tear someone down. Um, so I think I got lucky in that regard. But I do think that he had had enough, you know, of, of, of accepting less than he wanted. And he was probably late 30s. I mean, I thought he was old at the time, but, <laughs> you know, no, he was probably in his late 30s. And um, I think he just, he was feeling a little, not maybe a little, a lot frustrated, maybe a little angry and wanted it to stop. And I think saw my potential and just saw that I wasn't leaning into that potential and couldn't figure out why and decided, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have this conversation out of anger or out of my frustration. I want to do it. So he waited till the end of the day and I came into the consultation and I remember thinking this is going to be, I mean, I was smart enough to know I hadn't done very well that day. And I was, and I think I was expecting a discipline. I wasn't expecting to be fired, but I was expecting a disciplinary kind of conversation. So I was a little um, uh, surprised by his demeanor being very calm and sort of, you know, smiled at me, welcomed me into the room, was like, okay, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm not gonna, you know? And, um, and so I think he, you know, it's so funny. Years later, probably 15, 20 years later, I'm speaking for the Texas State Dental Association and he was in my audience. And he came, I told that story and he came up to me at the break and said, I cannot believe you told that story. And I, he said, he said, do you always tell it? And I said, well, I tell it a lot. Is it okay? And he's like, well, yeah, but I don't remember it being, I mean, I remember it, but I don't remember it being that big of a deal like you. And I said, well, it's interesting, isn't it? And I tell that to my audiences, like to him, it was just part of being the boss and part of leading these young people that he had working for him. And, but to uh, to me, it was a pivotal life moment. And so I talk about the fact that we have these conversations every day and 30 years from now, we're not going to remember the conversation or remember it very well or being significant, but someone we had that for, for better or worse is going to remember it and it will have a major impact on them. So they matter, they matter. Mm -hmm. And it mattered to me and changed my standard for myself and for anyone in the future who would work for me or the ways that I would coach other people to become leaders. And really I've dedicated my career now and my life to helping people communicate like that in a way that they hold their standard. They don't mince any words. They don't back up. They don't make excuses. They don't have to justify anything. They don't have to apologize for wanting something in a certain way. And yet when they draw that line, it up, it lifts people up. Even if they're going to part ways, they part ways uplifted rather than destructive, you know, being destructive or tearing someone down. And so there are ways that you can learn to communicate that way with your family, with your neighbors, 
with your coworkers, with your team, with audiences, and that's what and with patients, that's what we teach. That's what Okay, we so eight, that's crazy cuz now I'm connecting that like the day that you had a chance to start loving dentistry yeah. um because of this this moment with um this dentist is also like a day that you're able to use for inspiration when you became more of the consultant coach right. leader right um so talk about a transformative time but but also for you to recognize that moment mm. i didn't um, recognize it till later you know but in retrospect it certainly was a you know i think we all have conversations we've had in our life that when we think back we think my life was different after that conversation for you know again for better or worse um and that one would make my top five still today you know i mean i i can see why and, uh -huh. you know as as you're talking about uh the ability to communicate that way i i feel blessed because like that that was like my mom <laughs> like oh yeah um uh -huh. i was always nervous about having to you know let go of someone that was on our team and my dad didn't like it my mom could do it in a way that they would be like tearing up thanking her yeah. for the fact that yeah. she loved them enough to, to like set them free yeah exactly yeah. and all of a sudden i'm like did they just hug my mom <laughs> are they crying because they yeah. feel like they're yeah. like friends now and they feel so loved and cared for and i'm like how did right. she do that right. but it is it is a gift so my my question is um and of course it can be developed like i don't want right. to say it's it's something that is either innate and you know you're out of luck if you don't have it but so when all of a sudden um you realized that you loved helping people you loved you know the consulting the coaching and then all of a sudden onto more of the leading and speaking did you all of a sudden then look back and realize like oh wow as a in middle school or in high school i kind of had those natural aptitudes or, or some sort of an interest like was there ever something from your childhood that you then all of a sudden connected okay this makes sense yeah I'm going to stop right here because my husband's forgotten I'm on it. Okay. Oh, okay. Right here. Okay. Tom. 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 Okay. Sorry. He no worries. <laughs> All right. So um, ask your, just, just between us, ask the question again. Yeah. Like what, um, was there a time that all of a sudden, you then started realizing like, wow, it made sense because in high school, you know, I had a, you know, I had a ability to either like emotional intelligence with my friends where I was a good listener or I really cared about them. Um, like, was there that connection between, you know, here I am, I love helping people in a professional way. And wow, I realized there was like seeds of that or little sprouts of that in my, in my upbringing or my childhood. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, one of my, I was uh, always paused. I, I, I remember getting, there was a doll when I was younger called the Chatty Kathy doll. And you pulled a string and it said different things, you know. And so they would, they would teasingly call me Chatty Kathy. So I think I was always communicative and liked communicating. But I don't know that I was great, a great listener. That's often the case with um, really outgoing people is that they like to talk a lot and often the focus is on them. So I had really had to learn to balance where I put my attention. Um, but I do think I was drawn to communicating. So I grew up in a tiny little town, Texas town, tiny, I, you know, 
38 kids in my graduating class, like really tiny. And so, so wait, was, where in Texas? Because Texas in is, Southern is Texas, huge. Just north of Houston, a little town called Montgomery. It's much larger now, but it was really tiny when I was going to school there. And um, and so it wasn't hard to be a cheerleader or, you know, in the band or all these things. They were desperate for kids, you know, to, to take it in this tiny little school. Um, but of all the things I was involved in, the one thing I most loved was theater. And we didn't have a big thing, but they I remember my senior year, we did a... Um, one act play competition we entered into it and i had a starring role in this one act play a competition and we went we didn't go all the way to state but we went very close and um i remember i loved two things about it i loved performing and creating that sort of character connection with an audience and bringing that to life um but i also loved the team that it took to put that on and how and in anything else I did I didn't have that feeling but that little troop of actors as we kind of went you know through these competitions um was just super tight and I really loved so I think early on I began to fall in love with what was what was it that made those teams either not come together well or come together so well, like in that, in that little troupe. And I definitely got uh, a love for the stage. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think, you know, there were some signs, maybe some little things early on, but I, it, I wasn't a good speaker in the beginning. I, and I've had people say, Oh, I can't imagine. But the truth is I remember, I remember it was the San Diego dental society it was one of my first professional dental speeches and people if they weren't asleep they were leaving <laughs> early and um it was bad i got terrible reviews and it re i laugh about it now because um of course it was near my hometown i, I live in temecula california just north of san diego because of course i couldn't have done it somewhere you know in kansas or something but right here where i live um but it taught me or it, it quickly taught me that uh, I had the focus on the wrong thing. I thought, well, I'll, you know, what I knew would be interesting enough if I just could show them how much I knew, which is all the focus on me. And um, I quickly learned the hard way. Um, and then maybe the soft way with some coaching, with some really good coaches that said, oh, we can tell you right away. You've got the focus on the wrong thing. You've got to involve them. You've got to create an emotional connection with your audience, not only to you, but to your subject. And you've got to be able to do that in the first few minutes. And so, you know, it just learning from the grades and some experts that I had good information. That wasn't my, and most dental professionals do. There's something they're really good in Invisalign or lasers or implants or, you know, sleep dentistry or whatever it is. They have some areas of interest. They've gotten good at it. They have extra training. They have a lot of experience. And so knowledge isn't actually I call it the curse of knowledge for speakers, because sometimes we think convincing the audience how much we know will be enough for them to want to listen to us and hear us again and it's not that it's how well we can deliver that information in a way that's digestible, hopeful, um, interesting, uh, that that's what that's what makes people want to continue to hear us. So I had to learn all of that. 
But that's amazing that at that point in your life, you already had the humility to like, I need help. I, I'm going to get coaching. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to ask for help. Like that acknowledgement mm -hmm. um, I've seen in like the top performers across every industry. Right. It's that whole, that's where I want to go. Right. And I can only get there if I seek, ask, knock, read, study, mm -hmm. you know, get coaching. And wow. so that's amazing. Um, in that journey to even just being where you're at now, Catherine, like so many people would love to have stepped out, stepped up, uh, pioneered, led the way that you have. What was a mindset that you had to shed in order to get to where you're at? Perfectionism. Big okay. So that is something that, so in tandem with your excellence, perfectionism, I feel like masks itself sometimes as excellence, but mm -hmm. I, I know there's a difference, but I feel like you probably had a natural propensity toward excellence and toward being great. I did, which can be a curse, you know, and, and, a, and a wonderful thing. But I just, I really um, held myself and my company back um, taking much longer to, you know, a, a real perfectionist uh, has a hard time making a decision because their, their biggest fear is they'll make a wrong one. And so they just don't make any one. Uh, or it takes them forever to make one and then the opportunities passed, you know? And so uh, I have, a, and I still fight with that. So I still fight with that. Uh, so I think there was that. Um, and I had to change my mindset. I had to, ch I had to work on um, how could I bring my best and know that it would not be perfect. That even at, if I think of the very best speech I've ever given, I can think of a few things that if I could just go back and do it, I would do that differently. You know, that it's a very common saying, but people say, you know, there's the speech you meant to give, there's the speech you gave, and there's the speech you wish you gave. And you always are, have those three speeches at play. And um, that's true, whether you're doing case presentation to a patient or um, standing up before your team at a team meeting. I mean, I say speech, but I mean, anytime you're standing no. up and trying to influence people to do something different that you know will be good for them, uh, that's what I'm talking about. And so, you know, just um, I had to just get a, a bigger, better growth mindset and growth is stepping out before you have all the answers, stepping out before it's perfect. Um, just start walking and adjust along the way. And that had to become my new mindset that I will adjust. I will be given the, the feedback along the way and I'll make the adjustments. And once you finally start trusting that, um, you know, I found that when I did, when I would get it to what I thought was perfect, whether that was a speech or it was a business model or a marketing piece or a website, I'd get it to where I thought, okay, it's, you know, now that looks perfect to me. And then we would launch it or we would start it or I would give it. And then you'd be, it, it always, the reality of it was different than I thought it would be. So after a lot of those experiences, you start to go, we can get this as perfect as we want, but the, but the truth is once we go, we're going to, there's no other way to know what's missing or what's not working until we start walking down this path. So let's just go. It's good enough to go. Um, the COVID really taught us that like, you know, just like dentists and I'm sure you guys had the same thing. I mean, the day COVID hit um, big time, my overnight, my schedule, every speech, every workshop, every training, everything wiped out, wiped out. 
And I had to rally my team. Um, well, I, I, you know, I did the, what they called the duvet dive, right? I hid under the covers for a couple of days and cried. And then after that, you know, we're like, okay, you got to come out and you got a company to salvage, you know? And so uh, I had to gather my team around and we had to make a new plan. And, it, and we didn't have a lot of time, right? You're, you're, the bills are still due and, uh, you know, everything, people are still going, do I still have a job? Do we, what do we do? And so, you know, I had to, I had to get creative and we had to roll things out that were not perfect um, to stay in business. And we did. So I think those are good lessons for me and good mindsets to have as a business professional. Um, just start walking and, and business and the market, uh, clients, patients, they'll, they'll tell you what needs to be there and, you know, but don't wait till it's perfect because, um, the best day to start was yesterday. So you just, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like the best day to plant a tree was 10 years ago, right? Like you just got to go. Yeah. Well, so that speaks to me so much because I think the same thing was my early journey was this whole like fear of failure. Yeah. And what would that say about me? And I remember so many times that my dad and I together, we'd have a great idea. We'd start baking it out, but we'd pull the plug on it still in the boardroom right? before it ever had a chance to interact with the marketplace. Right, right. So over like a five-year period, I remember we put the kibosh on so many things mm -hmm. because we almost felt like we had this pressure. We had to hit the home run. Sure. Sure. And all we did was rob ourselves of all those opportunities to actually learn. learn. So that's what I tell people yeah. like mm -hmm. learning doesn't take place when you're planning and theorizing. It actually takes place once you've launched and you see how the market yeah. responds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the learning absolutely takes place. And, and I just know that the path is going to wander and it, it has brought me to places I never could have predicted. Like I'm writing a book right now on courageous conversations. Well, 12 years ago when we decided, okay, we're going to try to make a go of just, just being a communications coach only. Um, and we started having some success with that, but I always in the beginning thought we're talking communications coaching that's what we're uh, or leadership communication that's what we're talking about but everybody well, i would give the le leadership communication speech or we'd go in to do some training inside of a, a company or a practice and the piece that everybody wanted more of and really lit up was around this thing of courageous conversation so when we'd get to that part they'd say oh i wish we'd have had the whole day on that or i wish we'd have had the whole afternoon on that or i wish you know we, we just had a speech on that and that's the market saying that's the piece we want right. and so i thought okay so i did and then now i'm writing a book on it and in the writing of the book we've realized that we have this universal process to help people a get in the right mindset to have a co courageous conversation and b to have the skills to have the actual conversation and it's universal so now what the editor and publisher are talking to us about is a series of books that will will start with courageous conversations but then we're going to say well We'll, we'll partner with someone to do courageous conversations for business owners or courageous conversations for parents or courageous conversations for, you know, who knows, firefighters or, you know, whatever. I don't know. But we'll partner with people who are experts in those fields, take our universal process. And so my point is, I didn't start out thinking I'm going to have a series of books. I started out saying, I think I have something to contribute in terms of the leadership communications piece. And it 
in, it was in doing that, that people began to say, that's the piece that's interesting. And I want more of that. And so, and now, you know, as we got in deeper now, now we're learning, oh, there's this big opportunity. So I think it's just a tribute to just start, just start and trust and know and plan that it's probably going to go in a completely, but you don't get to discover what the new direction is until you're on the path. That's when it's going to be revealed to you. So the sooner you get on the path, the sooner it gets revealed. Um, yeah. So that is, <laughs> that is incredibly profound yeah. and inspiring. And it's also ironic that you just shared that because I was Googling, you know, your name and I wrote book afterwards thinking like, surely there's a book and <laughs> Nothing came up and I'm like, okay, I need to have this talk with Catherine <laughs> yeah. because clearly there's a book inside of you. I'm hoping a book, uh, but we'll see. <laughs> and now to come up to find out that it's not just a book, it's a series. That is incredibly yeah. exciting. Please let me know as details firm up Absolutely. Uh, because I would love to broadcast to my whole audience uh, about the book, whether there's a pre-order, all of yeah, that. Yeah, just of course. We're so excited. Get... Our goal is to get it done by the end of the year. That's kind of the contract we signed with the publishers. So um, so hopefully end of year, we'll have that thing wrapped up. That is so exciting. So yeah. let's see, I, I just love your, your emotion. You're going for things. You're leading. Tell me about a time when things really didn't pan out. <laughs> Besides the, the bad you're... speech. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. well, I mean more in your personally like... Mm. Because unless unless that actually was a really um, a, a time that you took really hard, I, I just mean like I'm always fascinated by how people get back up, and you're here, which means you did get back up. Like the the yeah. that dark night of the soul that sometimes people don't get out of, mm. and I feel like all of us face it in some some way or another. And I'm curious what that might have looked like for you. Mm. I've had several. Um, I mean, I've had a blessed life. I truly have. Uh, but I've also had some very dark times. And you know, it's so funny. I'm glad you asked this question. I'm, gl I'm glad you ask it of other people too. Um, because I think it's easy to put uh, people who are ahead of you in the game, in the game of business or the game of life, people who are a little bit ahead of me, I tended to put on a pedestal. And then I was always really shocked when I found out, oh, they also have a life like me. Um and I, so I think it's, I think we should be careful how we put people on a pedestal. And I know people do it about me because when I share this story and I have shared this story over the years, uh, there are many people who come up and say, thank you, because I never, ever would have thought that you would have understood this um, because I have it in my life too. So my uh, probably biggest out of several, uh, dark, dark moments. I have two sons, Hunter and Austin. And my youngest son, Austin, was a very elite athlete in high school uh, and early, you know, early in his life. He was a motocross rider and he was the, still holds the uh, title of being the youngest rider to ever go amateur pro, which I know sounds like an oxymoron. It kind of is, but they're able to, even as uh, being under 18, they're able to actually get paid for their winnings. Wow. So, wow. so he traveled all over the United States and even outside of it. Uh, he was on the cover of motocross magazines and, you know, was just this um, straight A student leader of his class, elite athlete. And he got hurt. And um, the short story 
is that like many people who have some sort of um, either physical tragedy or sometimes an emotional tragedy, they are at least, I'm hoping this is changing, but at least 10 or so years ago, um, now it's been about 12, um, they would give them painkillers without any warnings or any instructions. So I remember he, it was a major injury. I mean, it broke both of his arms, shattered oh, his yeah. pelvis, ruptured his spleen, bruised his liver, concussion. So, you know, stitches, broken bones, all, you know, all the plates and screws in his arms and, you know, all of that in the hospital for weeks. So we go to get him out and they handed us, you know, the antibiotics and the ointments and the, you know, all the things, big bag of all the things we had to do. And inside there was this prescription for painkillers and opiates. And so the short story is he got addicted. And when they run out, they use all their money, all of his winnings before we even knew what was happening to purchase more on the street. Uh, and then when they can't do that, they steal. Um, and when they can't do that, they go to any little bit of money they can find and they shoot heroin because they can't afford to buy the pills anymore. So they buy the cheapest thing they can. And of course we know now that very few people make it out of that addiction. And yeah. to watch this, son of mine fall from this very beautiful place of having the world at his fingertips to essentially being a, a heroin addict, you know, one step from the street and for a while he was on the street, um, was a really dark place. And I think a lot of people would be surprised that I have that experience or um, understand that kind of pain as a mother, as a um, just, you know, even from his perspective, you know, as an addict, I learned a lot about that addiction. So, so again, short story is through the last 12 years, he, you know, went in and out of rehabs, lots of relapses. Um, but, and, and through, and, and very early on, my husband and I divorced. So I was doing this as a single mother. Still working, still trying to put on the the big positive face on the stage and in front of my clients and keep my business afloat. But it, but you know, all around it, holding your breath that when the phone rang, it was going to be bad news, um, and often was. So, but I'm really happy to report that um, that young man has a fighting spirit inside of him and. We've had some, you can imagine the courageous conversations that we've had to have and what I've had to be, I had to reach out for coaching. You know, how do I, as a mother, um, have the right conversations so that I, because I'm clear, I can't do the work for him. I can't want it more than he wants it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, he, he, it, it was hard. I mean, he got hep C. He, I mean, just lots of things that they have to deal with and clean up afterwards. But anyway, he's been uh, clean for over a year now um, and is working and is in really good, um, I think a really good mental, emotional place. Um, he's now 30 and, you know, realizes that his life is, is uh, passing right before his eyes. And so I'm, I probably am prouder of him now than I would have ever been on that motocross bike because this was the fight of his life. This, this was the fight of his life and he's done it. And he's already uh, now in his program, 
helping others that are just coming in, you know, very much behind where he was because it's an epidemic, no doubt about it. And so I think he's found a purpose and I think he sees that all of that hard 10 year, 12 year journey, um, you know, may have been grooming him for some great work that he can do in the future. But those were some really hard, dark times. And I, in writing the book, uh, I'm planning on, uh, with his permission, of course, planning on using one of the courageous conversations that, because sometimes it's not just at work. Sometimes, sometimes, and it's, and it's the same, everything applies. And uh, I say in my speeches, when I tell the story, um, sometimes the stakes are not just work. The, sometimes they're people you care very much about, the most important people. And sometimes the stakes are life or death. And so it matters what you say. It matters the words you choose. It matters the state of mind you're in when you meet them in a bad state of mind, you know, when they're not in a good place. How do you maintain here and be of, of the best service that you can, still holding your place? And, yeah. you know, and so it's a, it's a rich, it's a rich conversation and I'm grateful for the experience, but there were some, there were many nights, you know, where I thought if that phone rings, it's not going to be good news. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's amazing because I wasn't expecting your story to be one that was you as a human, as, mm -hmm. as a mother, mm -hmm. not in the professional space. And that just brings yeah. me back to being like, man, like dentists, uh -huh. uh, dental professionals. It's like, I read some of the books um, from some of the consultants that are, you know, trying to offer services to dentists and they talk about the pressure with their spouse and, and their mm -hmm. kids and in their community, having to have it all together and be the one that's making all the money and being able to provide for college for their kids. And you just realize like, yeah, them as clinician, it's just one hat. It's just one hat. And I'll tell you, I remember when I met my current husband, I remember very quickly, he said, it's almost like you're two people. It's like you're this Catherine at work, but then there's this Catherine at home that is not quite as, um, doesn't seem, not, not as strong, that's not quite the right word, but not as um, determined or much more um, uh, willing to take the back seat and not claim her life. And, but over here, you, you know, you just go for it in business. You're just, you know, but, but at home, not so much. And I, it, it was reconciling those two Catherines, you know, yeah. and, and again, I got coaching for it and, and I'm so grateful for it, but it was to reconcile the two halves of me. Um, and how could I be just as strong and just as uh, self-directed and just to become one whole person. Um, so that meant being slightly different at work, more transparent, more um, real, and then being stronger at home where I had to draw some lines and I had to have some boundaries and I had to have unbounded love and forgiveness and um, hold that space, hold that space and hold the expectation that he would find his way out. Um, it's a very tough thing to navigate, but I, I only share it. Well, I share it for a couple of reasons. I want people to have hope that whatever the challenge is, it might be different than that, but whatever the challenge is, 
that there there is a good reason not to give up hope because it was very easy for us. It would have been very easy for us. The statistics were not in our favor and they still aren't darn it, in our favor. Um, but the second reason is that ne- just, just don't put people on a pedestal because it might not be that, but they're dealing with something and it's just the human condition. And when you can say, I don't know what it is, but they've got theirs and I've got mine. And all we can do is just hold that space for each other and know that these are human beings feeling their way in the dark, every single one of us. So, um, yeah. Amen. Okay. So about your son really quick. Yeah. Um, it is so cool that he's at a place now where you say that he's almost like kind of getting to give back Definitely. to those that aren't as far as he is. Mm-hmm. And one might even say, you know, his mom <laughs> being the speaker that she is like i could see him having a platform i could too we've Someday. talked about it we've talked about it how you know when he's ready if he's ready um i don't you know he's got his own journey and he's got to make his own way but um but i've said i think there is a platform for this not just in dentistry but in the world about the kind the kinds of impacts that courageous conversations and courageous decisions can can make in a life and uh, in a, and in the lives that you influence. And so we're, we've, we've had conversations about it, but I think he wants to get further down the road, you know, and in the addiction world, one year isn't, uh, is like a drop in the bucket. So I think a few more years, you know, under his belt and, and really um, having, you know, that independent life really secure for himself is what he's working on all of his energy going there. Uh, And I think that's rightly placed, but uh, I, I, I suspect whether it's with me or, you know, somewhere on his own, he's, I, I, I actually know in my heart that he's going to, he's going to make a, a positive impact on some lives in one way or the other. Yeah. 1000%. Yeah. It's like when we go through trials and tragedies and, and difficulties, um, there's always the gold that we can find. Yep. And instead of being bitter or frustrated about what we had to go through, we can realize, oh my gosh, as a person, Mm -hmm. I now have this perspective or I now have this message or I now have this resilience and an ability to influence so that others don't fall in the way that I did. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so beautiful about, I think, even what you do to just empower dentists to be able to communicate better, to be able to lead, to be able to be more real with their teams so that they can have those honest conversations um, and then I want to buy that book. You haven't written it yet, but that book about <laughs> how you reconcile mm. the two halves. Mm. I find myself at times wondering if I have like almost like it feels like a split personality because at work mm. there's a certain, um, yeah, there's a certain mindset. There's a certain way I go about leading. And then all of a sudden I'm at home with my wife and five kids and it just yeah. feels very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would love to be more integrated, yeah. um, and more whole. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe I need a coaching appointment after this <laughs> with you, Catherine. I'm not sure I'm the brilliant coach on that, but I do, I do know that it made life better when I could show up, um, really authentic and, and confident in those, in that one person. Um, and it really is just about, you know, understanding yourself and knowing that you can, have boundaries in both places and you can still love people through that discussion of your boundaries. And, um, and, um, 
Yeah. So I think those, uh, and I learned a lot of that from others that helped me. Uh, I remember a coach saying to me, what, you know, I was, I had drawn a line for him. This was early on, you know, no drugs in the house anymore. You can stay here until you get a job or whatever. He had just come out of a rehab. Uh, you can stay, you know, but, um, and then he, I found evidence that he had quickly broken it and, um, I didn't hold my line. And so my coach said, so tell me about that, you know? And I said, well, you know, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I mean, we're dealing with really life or death kind of, and she goes, well, what, tell me exactly what you're afraid of. I said, I'm afraid I'm going to get a call from the morgue, you know, and I don't think I can live with it. And she said, well, but you would only get that call if he continued to use. Right. And I said, well, of course he is. And she goes, that's my point. We do know what he does when you do this. He He's several times gone back to using. So we kind of know the answer. And couldn't you get that call right now? Couldn't you get that call right now? And I said, I guess I could. And she said, so we're actually not preventing that because that's happening regardless. Wow. What if we tried a different, what if you did hold the line with love, right? But you hold it. And, yep. and what would that, what would he do with that? And so, you know, to having someone to teach you to have the courage to do it. And she said, let's practice it. Cause here's what's going to happen. He's going to come at you with anger and then he's going to come at you with tears and then he's going to beg and then he's going to go back to anger. And then he, and, and that's exactly what he did, but she had already practiced all of that with me so that when it happened, I was, I was able to hold steady uh, emotionally and it was super helpful. So I can't claim all of the, you know, I mean, it, all I can claim is I wanted to do whatever I could to, um, from, from where I was, uh, to make it possible for him to recover the, doing the recovery. It was his work and much harder, I think than mine. Um, so, you know, he gets all the credit, but I did get coaching for that. And, and mm. so now faced with other hard things in my life, I'm able to lean back on those skills and say, no, I can still hold a pretty, pretty clear line uh, and do it with love and do it with inviting people to join me if, if it works for them. And if it doesn't, I get it. Right. And so, um, yeah, that's a, that's a maturing, and, you know, that, that happens. Yeah. And that's what you're going to go over a little bit of in the book, right? A hundred percent. Okay. Okay. That's I what the book is so... about is how okay. you leave people whole and still, and because I think, I think business owners and managers in these consolidated dental practices and they're, they're promoting people into leadership because they might be the hygiene team lead or, but this is the first time that they've actually been called to lead a group of people toward an objective. And I think we're doing that often without giving them the skills to have these conversations and without knowing how to have a coaching conversation that leaves people feeling uplifted uh, and, and invites them into a different standard um, you will probably fail ultimately. And I think we're losing people too quickly out of these positions, not because they don't have the talent, but because they don't have the skills. So the book is really about, and, and I think, wouldn't you agree, Sean, that we're living in a world where, I mean, just turn on the TV or turn on your social media. People have an inability. It's almost epidemic. Um, they have an inability to communicate respectfully um, when they have a difference of opinion or a difference right. of perspective. And so helping the 
helping our professionals in dentistry just feels like turning the faucet onto a drip because I think there's a whole world out there that doesn't know how to have these conversations in this positive way. And I think when we learn it at work, we end up taking it home to our dinner table and our children get to experience an example that they're not getting anywhere else. Um, and I think that's, I think that's worth putting out in the world. And that's really what the book is about. <laughs> 100%. So a, I would love to interview you okay. during like the launch time good, period, good. you know, whatever that pre-launch awesome. is, let me help. Um, so in the spirit of honor, is there anyone in the industry that you would like to just like honor again as, as an innovator or as a pioneer? Hmm. Um, well, my early mentors are names that many of your, your listeners will remember Linda miles. She's been a tremendous mentor for me. Um, Kathy Jamison, uh, some of those early pioneers um, from the speaking world, Mark LeBlanc, uh, Paul Homily, and um, Naomi Rodis were three people that had big influences on me. Currently, um, I would give a shout out to Vanessa Emerson. She, you know, she worked for me for many years. Uh, that's where she started. Uh, she came to work as an assistant for me when I was early in my consulting career. And she was so, she got so good at marketing me as a speaker uh, that she helped some friends and pretty soon she was, you know, she had a business, right? And so I'm yep. so proud of her. I'm so proud of her. And she, it's funny how sometimes the student becomes the teacher. And I think she's really demonstrated that uh, people can stretch out. I think it's taught me to let go and let people fly when they're ready. Um, yeah. cause I certainly didn't want to let her go. That's for sure. Um, but she's gone on to really, you know, improve our industry and improve a lot of lives. So, um, yeah. And just, you know, I have some mentors now outside of dentistry, Sarah Connell, um, and Duffy, you know, some of the people that we know, uh, that really, um, are really champions for women in dentistry and women in business and women in general. So I think, uh, those are, those are some of the people that I really admire. Amen. Well, I mean, it's, I, like, yeah, I can tell you, uh, you were so generous with honoring people and, and that is, that is absolutely beautiful. Um, okay. So if someone's listening right now and they're like, man, I want to get a hold of Catherine, um, to learn more, uh, to hire her as a coach or to speak somewhere, what is the best thing for them to do? Um, well, I would just maybe clear up what, what exactly we do. So Lions Speak, you know, the overarching umbrella is communications coaching, but we deliver it in three different lanes or sectors, if you will. So one sector is patient-facing communication. So telephone skills, um, a treatment presentation, and financial conversations. We have a lot of practices with the communication skills if they're transitioning off of insurance. So any of those patient-facing communications we do, we're sort of known as the unscripted communications coach because we really believe people need to step into their authentic voice, but they need to have some guidelines so we make sure we land the plane um, with whether it's on the phone or, or in person. So there's that. Uh, then our second lane is team-facing communications, and that's where Courageous Conversations really lives. We do a lot of team retreats, team culture uh, work, and leadership coaching for um, owners and managers or team leads. Um, and then our third is, we describe it as audience-facing communication. So we have a train the speaker and a train the trainer program in that we are super excited. We just launched a few months ago 
um, an on-demand video series for how to become a great presenter, whether, again, whether it's to your team or whether it's from the stage, but how do you put your thoughts together? How do you organize them? How do you deliver them with interest, whether that's story or metaphors or, you know, something that brings color to the black and white logic? Uh, and then the video talks about how you move your body on the stage, um, what, you know, how do you practice, uh, how do you handle your nerves, uh, things like that. So that that's an on-demand, very affordable video series. Uh, we do offer coaching, but, uh, yeah. but uh, at this point, the, the videos are a prerequisite to the coaching because it's really the basics of it. And we're actually, um, I'm editing now, doing the final edits for a similar uh, product for courageous conversations. So dental practices and business owners will be able to purchase the videos uh, or access to the videos uh, on how to have a courageous conversation within within your practice. So I'm excited. We're, we're hoping to have that out in just a few months. So excited about that. So the best way to reach us is um, probably to go to the website, which is lionspeak.net. So L-I-O-N-S-P-E-A-K.net. And then uh, you can always send an email to info at lionspeak.net and with, let, you know, let us know uh, what your questions are or how we can connect with you. We do a lot of coffee chats, uh, complimentary coffee chats. Just bring your, bring your issue, bring your question. Uh, it's kind of a no-selling zone. If, we're just hoping that you'll like the advice and want more. So, um, but, uh, but we're happy to do a complimentary uh, coaching session um, if there's something in particular. So let us know if we can help with that. And um, that's probably the best way. Our phone number is 800-595-7060. So that's another way to, to get a hold of us. Awesome. Okay. So here's my question for my close. Okay. Um, let's go back to 19 year old Catherine mm -hmm. and you're walking down the street and you see her not too far off. And you know, you only have one moment to communicate a brief sentiment to her. What do you share with her? 19 year old Catherine. Um, I would say be brave, be brave, be brave and um, follow your dreams. Follow, follow your heart. I absolutely love that. <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much. Uh, it has been easy to honor you as an innovator, as a leader, as a pioneer, I love what you're doing in dentistry. I think it's a crazy industry yeah. and it's just, I love where it's going Me and too. it's going so many places because people are stepping up and they're making the change that they want to see. Yeah. So thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. To learn more about what's going on in dentistry, check out innovationindentistry.com.